0: Hey everybody! Normally I don't do this, but I had a few technical difficulties um, with the next episode, which is episode 70 with my uncle Irvin. Um, new equipment, you know, growing pains and whatnot. So the episode ends rather abruptly. Um, it was it was at the end of the episode anyway. Uh, So the only thing I really left out of that episode is my usual um, closing to the show. So I'm going to do that now at the beginning instead of the end. So as always, I just want to tell everybody that I love you and that you should tell the people you love that you love them as much as possible and I was going to say that to my uncle which I did after the podcast but you know and as always you can follow me on twitter at wisdom pops, instagram at pops wisdom and email at pops wisdom 68 at gmail.com please like and share as much as possible and as always peace peace <laughs> all right back again for another episode of pops wisdom podcast this episode i have a special guest i have my uncle Irvin. hello he doesn't know this but i wanted to do this one specifically in person so i was like well hopefully we can get to california and then COVID hit (laughs) there you go (laughs) and the stars aligned and god said well we'll just bring them to you so that's how it goes so originally dad and i were going to do this podcast and we just never got the equipment Mm -hmm. (laughs) so after that it kind of morphed into i realized that there's a lot of knowledge from older men that we're losing um so i wanted to kind of create a record of that to disseminate it so that 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 knowledge isn't lost on us so I've been going through the solo episodes that I do. It's usually things that Dad has told me that mm-hmm. I'm just now starting to figure out, or, or knowledge that I've gained from from other older men. Because I realized that there's a lot of guys that don't have any older men or men period around them. That's so true. Anything. So true. Yeah. <laughs> so they're just lost, you know. Um, so hopefully this is something that they can gravitate to and mm-hmm. learn things from. So we'll start with 1952. 1952. Virginia Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I'm, uh,
1: I'm 11 months younger than my older sister, Susan. Mm-hmm. So, um, Our little inside joke is that they loved her so much that they had to have another one, (laughs) and then two more. Mom and Dad had us. Well, they waited another five years before they started (laughs) (laughs) again, but uh, they had Susan and I in nineteen. Well, she was uh, January of fifty one, and. No, I I take that back. She was January of 52, and I was December of 52. 52. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So two kids in one year that that, uh, I'm sure
0: uh, gave them pause. Right. Two kids in diapers at the same time. They weren't twins. (laughs) They weren't twins.
1: But, you know, we were brought up in a loving home and uh, felt the love of a mother and father,
0: which is a blessing for any child. Definitely. Any child. Definitely. Um, What was it like growing up in Louisville during that time? You know, (laughs) we had a great upbringing in
1: Louisville. We were raised in uh, the West End of Louisville which is what we knew mm-hmm. now there was there was uh racial situations going on all over the country and of course in louisville which is the gateway to the south right, right. and uh downtown they were having demonstrations as you know when i was uh, five six seven years old and uh all all the uh um uh, protests were going on starting you know in 56 with uh, rosa parks and uh uh, Montgomery, Alabama, but th- this was the beginning of the racial movement, uh, of the, um, the, the black movement, and uh, our parents basically kept us isolated from that, in that we really didn't go downtown and deal with, you know, the stores where we couldn't drink from the fountain mm. or go in the front door or sit at the counter uh we pretty much stayed in the west end during those times i went to all black elementary school junior high school and high school so i didn't really know or face racism as a child in that way mm. it wasn't until i was older and went out <laughs> to um you know um an integrated college that i i really recognized racism, uh, it was there. It was definitely there, but we were not exposed to it in that way. We were brought up in a very nurturing and loving home and community. There was community in the West End, you know, that that supported us, that encouraged us, that, uh, you know, our teachers lived in the same neighborhood. And so we had a community of support in those days that i uh, that i believe is lost a lot now Mm -hmm. part of the problem was when integration happened a lot of the upward and able black people moved out of Mm -hmm. the inner city and uh a lot of the infrastructure
0: crumbled Mm -hmm. and it kind of left us with a brain drain yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. the people who were left were the people who couldn't get out
1: in some so ways, yeah. Uh, so. So, some some were the people who stayed to try and support the community. Mm-hmm. We don't want to under undervalue uh, that. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of the upward upwardly mobile left the community and left it
0: in, in a, a drain. Yeah, and it's, mm-hmm. that was a nationwide thing yes, yes. too. Yeah. Um, so we come from a musical family, right? You play trumpet.
1: I played trumpet in elementary school, junior high and high school. But when I went to college I realized I wasn't that good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so
1: I didn't pursue it any further and I, I had kept my trumpet for years but I hadn't played it in a while and it was all frozen up so I I saved all the time that I'm gonna get another horn and start from stra- scratch
0: again, but I, I don't know that that'll ever happen. But go ahead, we have <laughs> a musical family. Mom still has her clarinet. Okay. So, <laughs> so it, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, um, well, your dad, Irvin Sr., I call him Gramps, mm-hmm. was a drum major. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, yeah, it kinda, that's right, he was. Yeah, uh, So it uh, kind of flows, yeah. I mean, and Uncle Charlie, I, which I'll have mm-hmm. on here soon, mm-hmm. is a drummer. Mm-hmm. Mom played yeah. He's an excellent drummer. Yes. Yeah. That is his life. So. Yeah. Yes.
1: Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I remember the Central Marching Band back in those days. Uh, the joke then was, we could march or we could
0: play, but we couldn't do both. <laughs> <laughs> and they definitely played. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. So, what got you into your current career, which is in the entertainment field. I know you had a radio show. Yeah, I started uh, about 12 or 13,
1: maybe, I got really enthralled with uh, cassette recorders. Mm. I think I bought my first one for like $26 at an electronic store or something. And I used to take it and I'd record songs off the radio and I'd do my own intros to those songs and play. I had had those tapes for a while until my younger brother Charlie recorded over them. I went to (laughs) listen to one of them and it's Charlie just (laughs) talking away. Uh, But uh, the, um, from there, there was, when I was in high school, they had, um, what did they call it? it's like Community Day or Apprentice Day or something like that, where they took high school seniors and allowed them to be on the day for, a radio for a day. Mm. So I heard about it and I called up and I asked if I could be on, and they said yeah. So I went and did that uh, and did did a radio show for a day with with other high school seniors, and from there. I asked them if they would allow me to do an interview show and I I brought in other high school seniors and we recorded uh, uh, me interviewing them about you know high school and going to college and after that they uh, asked me to work there for the summer Hmm. so before I went to college that summer I worked at WLOU I was the E.D. The Judge. Mm-hmm. On WLOU, I was a slow-walking, jive-talking, wax-spinning, show-stopping popple, with hip shaking gyrating, soul-searching, soul-sounds on the get-down, trying to make your knees freeze, your liver quiver, and your bladder splatter. If you can't get to that, you got a hole in your soul, a snag in your bag, and a run in your thick and thin stockings. <laughs> you know, I had all that old spiel. I think I, I stole a lot of it from a DJ that was on the air called Daddy D at the time. Mm-hmm. But I did that for a summer, and I went away to college. And while I was at college, I worked. I worked for a couple of radio stations at college. Um, the first one was WLBJ in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and it was a bluegrass station. And they hired me to work on the weekends, and I just started bringing my R and B records and playing them. <laughs> i didn't ask anybody i just Play. <laughs> and just started playing them and they let me at the time there was a it was a simulcast there was a fm and an am the fm was classical records stacked on the turntable in the back room and every now and then somebody would call and say uh the fm is stuck <laughs> so you go out back and change the but but i did that uh, the first uh Year there, and the second year there, I went to work for WKCT in Bowling Green, which is a middle of the road station, and I, I would play records for them. Um, I'll never forget. I was, uh, I had one favorite record I played, which was "Bet You by Golly Wow" Why, by, Why, by, by the st- Stylistics, mm-hmm. and I was playing it one day, and the manager came in and took it from me. <laughs> But you know, I kind of did what, what I wanted to do. Uh, from there, I uh, applied to WHAS Television here in Louisville. It was a CBS affiliate at the time. I think it's an ABC affiliate ABC now. now. But they hired me as a uh, technician because I was studying film, film and television in, in college at Western Kentucky University. So after my second year there, um, I had gotten married, had a child, and needed to work and pay for pay the bills so i, I got a job at WHS as a technician, a cameraman, sound uh, running the audio board, running tape machines, uh, loading film, that type of thing um, and they hired me i think in nineteen seventy two at a salary of two hundred and thirty eight dollars a week and my mother wanted everybody to know how much money I made because that's the most money anybody had ever made. <laughs> that was a lot yeah, of money in 1972, 238 dollars a week. I worked there for two years, and then uh, one of the gentlemen I worked with actually got a job at CBS in Hollywood, and uh, I was uh, asking him how to how to how do I how do you do this? So uh, he gave me the number. I called up. Bob Lawson, who was in charge of uh, the engineering department at CBS Television City in Hollywood, and he said, I can't guarantee anything, but if you'll come out, you know, I'll interview you. So I took a red-eye flight out to L.A., interviewed with him. uh, I think this was on a Tuesday. Flew back, and I think Thursday they called and said, if you want a job, come out. By the way, by the time I got back to um, Louisville, they had pretty much called everybody I knew and checked me out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they checked out the references, but um, I, I got hired at W. I mean at uh, CBS in Hollywood, and I started work there in August of 1974. This was the same time Nixon was leaving the White House mm. after he got impeached. Uh, I was, or resigned, I guess. I was flying to, uh, actually I was driving out to Los Angeles to start start a life out out there. So I worked at, at CBS Television in Hollywood, back in the time they were doing Good Times and all the family, Jeffersons, Maud, uh, Price is Right at the studios. We were doing Sonny and Cher, uh, Tony Orlando and Dawn. Uh, Carol Burnett's show. It, it was a really fun time to work in
0: television there. Yeah, yeah that it, uh, seems a whole lot simpler time too. I mean, it's it's one of those things where like nowadays you could call, but they're probably not going to call you back. <laughs> well, you know, everything is
1: timing. True. Everything mm-hmm. is timing and God's grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell you a little something on both of those jobs when i went to work at whas during that time there was a lot of pressure being put upon uh fcc license holders to hire minorities Mm. they there were no blacks working in broadcasting pretty much at that time very very few and um whas is one of the uh requirements for them to renew their fcc license was that they hire some minorities. So, I walked in the
0: door at the right time. Yep, time is everything. Uh,
1: at Television City in Hollywood, Bill Cosby was doing a variety show on at Television City at that time. Hmm. Uh, with Lola Falana and Quincy Jones. And he came out on the stage one day and said, I will not be back out here tomorrow if there aren't some more blacks out here if there aren't some blacks working on the stage. Mm. And Television City went out and found a bunch of us around <laughs> the country and they brought us in and basically I would work in the basement all week loading films and doing things like that. But if there was a show that had the Jackson Five on it or you know, a black act, they would bring me up to work on the stages. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was my end there. So, you know, it, like I say, a lot of it was timing and God-making
0: opportunity, you know, I can't take credit for him. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he always makes a way. So. Yes, he does. Um, you worked for CBS for how many years? I was there
1: for 27 years on staff. Hmm. And then I quit and went freelance, but I stayed on the lot for another six years. Hmm. Uh, working uh, shows but working directly for the shows and not for CBS yeah Yeah. so I was there you know uh, a good 30 some years
0: if you could pick one moment from all that time what would be your favorite one hmm there are a lot
1: uh, like I said back uh, during the time of the all the all the shows the shows in the 70s on stage being on stage when they were doing good times Mm. being on the stage when the jackson five were performing or you know i met muhammad ali on the stages Mm. there i met a lot of people you know everybody was hot would come through al green was performing he'd be on stage you know i I got a chance to you know talk to a lot of these people but i got to see them perform up close and personal Mm. Minnie ripperton would be standing there in her overalls with her hands in her pocket hitting you know six octaves just standing right there in front of me so a a lot of those things but also the exposure i got to travel Mm -hmm. Uh, go go and see different places and different things I, i traveled with cbs sports for a number of years so i got a chance to uh get out and see remote broadcast i did the um, 1980 Republican convention in Detroit, um, and I was there for a month. And, uh, you know, I got, got a chance to really get uh,
0: exposed to things that I otherwise would not have seen. Yeah, I remember when we came out in 92, you were on in a remote truck for one of the Lakers games. Mm-hmm. And we had to go in remote truck. oh well, yeah, yeah yeah
1: those were you know i, I did uh conference championships I, I remember back in uh the late like 79 i did a championship game for the dallas cowboys in mm-hmm. dallas stadium you know uh there were opportunities to get to a lot of different events and be in, in different places
0: and, and it was a lot of exposure that i had not had i think one of the Greatest things we can do is travel, because so many people never even leave where they are. Right. So they they develop an idea of way the world is Mm -hmm. because that's the world they're in. Right. And they never get to break out of that mold ever. You know, I talk to my wife
1: Chippa about New York sometimes, and she tells me of people who live in Harlem in New York who never go down to Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And it's a walk. It's, you know, 125th Street down to 40th Street. And there are people who live in Harlem
0: and never have gone down there. So exposure and getting out is very important. Right. And especially in a city like New York, where there's so much flavor from all over mm-hmm. and people never leave their boroughs. Or there's, there's a rapper from Los Angeles named The Game, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how his whole life he could see the hollywood sign from where he lived he never went to hollywood until he got famous but he was like we never left our neighborhood Mm -hmm. he's like and honestly i could have caught a bus (laughs) and got there he's like we just never thought to leave
1: right yeah exposure is very important and helping people be exposed is very important mm -hmm. allowing our our kids to see things that uh, maybe we didn't see or didn't know. Uh, College is an opportunity to be exposed to things uh, from people who know and allow us into a different world and and a different way of learning, reading. You know, a lot of people use television as a way to go go different places. During COVID, my wife
0: and I traveled all over the world. on youtube <laughs> mm-hmm. yes definitely youtube university right yes <laughs> all right um, funny question did you have the same buttery voice when you were doing the radio <laughs> <laughs> when i
1: was in elementary school junior high school maybe i'd call up my friends and they'd say uh you know i'd ask them, yes sir <laughs> They didn't realize it was me. They thought it was a man calling on you. So yeah, I have—I have it. I have the ability to turn it on. I don't always use it. (laughs) In other words, I'm told I mumble a lot. (laughs) Me too. Yeah, but I do have it,
0: and I have the ability to use it. (laughs) Okay. So you're a girl, Dad i'm a girl dad mm-hmm. and so far everybody i've interviewed has been girl dads okay. to this point what has having daughters taught you that they women are different
1: definitely you you really have to tune in to the sensibilities of girls because uh they see things totally different from the way we see them mm-hmm. and they're supposed to god made them that way they have uh, things they deal with that we don't understand mm-hmm. but you know um, it's very important to listen and to try and guide them in a way um, love them I should say mm-hmm. in a way that they are not starving for love because when you take a girl and starve her for love she's just fodder for any man coming along that acts like he loves her mm-hmm. so uh Loving our daughters is very important, but also recognizing that God made a mother and a father Mm -hmm. to have different roles. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We love our girls, but we also have to set boundaries. Mm -hmm. We also have to be willing to say and know how to say no sometimes. Mm -hmm. You can't say yes all the time because they will. Where you out. <laughs> I'm good on the no button. I'm very but, good. But on you the no have button. to you have to be able to lovingly say no and know when to say no and not just make no
0: the standard response. That's <laughs> right. easy to do, too. <laughs> no. Can't no. <laughs> yeah. Especially with mine. Cause yeah.
1: But they, I mean, yeah. they, they can they can make us pushovers because, you know, mm-hmm. our daughters can just. Wrap us around that little finger, mm-hmm.
0: but you know, be strong, black man. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely you know, that look with the eyes back. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, and you don't want to, but it's like no, no. no what no. did your mother say? Because <laughs> right. you're usually the second one to go. <laughs> right. What did your mother say? Um, okay, that's a no then. <laughs> um. So I spent a lot of my childhood with gramps right Mm -hmm. but i don't know him like from the son father standpoint so how was he as dad he was very loving
1: Mm -hmm. but very stoic Mm -hmm. daddy didn't talk a lot (laughs) you knew he loved you he would do what you asked he would make sure you had what you needed do what you ask of him, but he he worked a lot. Mm-hmm. Daddy worked at nights, so I would see Daddy on the weekends um, because he, he would leave before we got home before we got home from school, mm. and when we went to school. He'd be asleep usually, um, but. I always knew my father loved me, and there was never, ever a doubt in my mind that my father loved me. He always provided, but daddy was quiet. Mm -hmm. He was quiet, unless he was upset about something. And then he would go, he would become
0: the mumbler.
1: (laughs) He He wouldn't yell. He would mumble, mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know. He would grumble. Yeah, I was yeah. on the end of that quite a few times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, when when you
1: know, mommy start, mama started getting sick, and that whole thing, mm. it took a toll on him. It took quite a toll on mm. him, you know. And um, he went through. He went through. But mm. you know, as children, we he he would pile us in the car, and we'd go to. Elkton, we'd go to um, Nashville to visit relatives down there. And we had road trips. We'd always leave at, you know, four o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and get there, you know, uh, where we're going about, you know, six, seven o'clock in the morning, something like that. It was always a morning road trip.
0: But we we go places, we do things. You know why you do that, right? Why? Well, so the kids stay asleep. There you go. <laughs> Trust me, we drove down to, to visit my wife's mom in Mississippi, we left really, really <laughs> early. This is like an eight-hour drive. Just
1: keep your pajamas on, kids. You mm-hmm. can sleep in the back of the mm-hmm. car. There were no seatbelts back then. Oh, yeah. And oh, the yeah. car, my mom and my daddy both smoked. So the car would be a rolling <laughs> cigarette, <laughs> uh, smoke-filled.
0: <laughs> well, everybody smoked. Yeah. <laughs> so <it's> like, uh, <laughs> um. There's a question I always ask. Mm -hmm. Say you ran into a 21-year-old man. And he was asking you for guidance. What is five things you would tell him? Hmm. Five things. Uh, Number one,
1: first thing I'd say is take your time. Don't be in a hurry. Mm -hmm. Number two, spend time and have a relationship with god that probably should be first but knowing how much we're in a hurry in this life i'm gonna make that second Mm -hmm. spend time and have a relationship with god and let god lead you
0: in the way he would have you to go go ahead that's the exact same order that stacy went in oh really (laughs) okay um number three Get your education
1: there are so many distractions in life that once you skip ahead it's hard to go back Mm -hmm. so i would want to get ahead get i would want to talk to that person before 21. definitely and say spend the time get your education and get your exposure as we talked about earlier that education will expose you to things that you didn't know were possible and didn't know exist. Mm-hmm. So as you're building your life and building your base and building your foundation, if you, if you don't know what to build or what to build on or what to build toward, you won't build what is for you. So mm-hmm. spend the time and get that exposure. That's three. Mm-hmm. Number four, be very careful in the woman you make your mate. Mm-hmm. Or even before the women, woman you make your mate, the women that you become involved with, mm-hmm. because that will shape so much of your life. Mm-hmm. So take the time to get to know the women you become involved with and don't allow yourself to be entrapped into in relationships that are not, the relationships that you're meant to have. Mm. And number five, I just had it, where did it go? Um, Build your financial base. Mm. And that goes all the way back to number one, take your time. Mm. Don't rush into financial encumbrances that are going to allow, that are going to force you to make decisions about your life that um, are not the ones you would take if you weren't encumbered financially. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Money is a very elusive thing, but there are some laws to money that if you follow them, they will get you where God meant you to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, As they say,
0: fast money comes with slow consequences. Yeah. <laughs> There's a question I always
1: <laughs> like to ask,
0: uh, ask people when I talk to them about money is... Um,
1: If I offered you right now one penny compounded 100% for 30 days or $1 million,
0: which would you take? I'm going to take the one penny because I'm going to forget it's there and Mm -hmm. it's going to keep compounding over and over again. It's going to compound for 30 days. And
1: you know what one penny compounded for 30 days is? Mm Mm-mm. 100% One hundred percent compounded that means doubling your money every day for thirty days. that one penny would be nine million dollars. <laughs> so if you take the one million you 've given up eight million dollars right and most people don 't believe that, but if you take it out and double take one cent time two time two time two, and do it thirty times it 's a million dollars. so take care of the pennies first mm-hmm. and get your money in order and you know don 't go out and because you have a job making good money go go out and buy a
0: a car that's more than your you know mortgage you know we call it the ford principle uh-huh. since ford has always been a big thing here mm-hmm. you get the people who get good job at ford and then they have a house and an rv and four cars mm-hmm. and, it, and then ford decides to lay everybody off and then right right, <laughs> right. you <Yeah. laughs> didn't save any of it right yeah then and you there you are. Build the base. Build the financial base, you know,
1: and, and then start acquiring what you want to acquire. And it's hard to talk to people about
0: finance nowadays.
1: You know, that's one of the things that really bothers me is the fact that in our community, in our society, we don't talk about money. Mm-hmm. We don't talk to our kids in a way we should about money. Mm-hmm. You know, our kids start their life and they build their, they do their own thing. Hmm. Everything is kept separate. Whereas in other cultures and other societies, they will pool their money and Mm -hmm. go out and buy an apartment building and live in the apartment building until they can buy another apartment
0: building, you know, and work together. Mm -hmm. And we don't do that enough. A lot of that is the lost trust. Mm -hmm. We don't trust each other enough to do it. Or we don't want anybody to know no. what we're doing because they wouldn't approve. And we don't want anybody else touching our money. Right. And yeah. it's like, yeah, but if it's our money, then it's all our money. We can mm-hmm. pool it and we can all be doing good. Yeah. And nobody wants that. Yeah,
1: I wish I had been able to guide my children a little better in that, in that regard. But once again, you know, they wanted to do their own thing and didn't want
0: daddy telling them what to do. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's tough because I've tried to talk to some people about money, and Mm -hmm. they just look at you like, you're crazy. It's like, Mm -hmm. what are you talking about? We have a problem in our community where people like to wear their wealth. Yes. Yeah. So they look wealthy, but they're not wealthy. Right. Because they see the famous people who do it and don't realize a lot of those people don't have any money either. They're renting that jewelry for a video. <laughs> yeah. like,
1: or, you know, they have spent a lot of money on jewelry mm-hmm. and don't have don't have a house. <laughs> right. You know, right. have a big car but they're parking in front of an apartment building. You know, it, it it's uh, priorities that are out of whack. Mm-hmm. You know, and one of the one of the big things is allowing God to to guide us in that regard, you know, uh, I believe in tithing. I believe in giving back to God, what is God's and God will bless me with what is mine, mm-hmm. you know? So,
0: um, but a lot of people are like, I'm
1: not giving that money to the church. Mm-hmm. You know? right. <laughs> you know?
0: right. And then go buy a $200 pair of Jordans. Right. And stand in line for mm-hmm. four hours to get them. Right. Yeah. There, there are <laughs> principles, there are principles to follow. And, uh, uh,
1: I think it's important that we get better at sharing those principles Mm -hmm. with the next generation. Unfortunately, there's a lot in this generation that don't know what to share with Mm -hmm. the the next generation. You know, there's um, the whole talk about generational wealth, Mm -hmm. you know, passing along wealth to the next generation. Um, Too many people have the attitude of, I can't take it
0: with me, so I'm gonna spend it all while I'm here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's mine. I made it. Instead right. of thinking down the line, you mm-hmm. know, this wasn't just for you. This is for others. This is to share. I mean, yeah. we've seen that a lot. Like somebody will pass away, and then the kids will get the house, mm-hmm. and they're just like, and sell it instead of hey, you can turn that into a rental property. I'm mm-hmm. sure it's paid for mm-hmm. usually, and then or like um, family property. Like I said, they have a plot of land, a mm-hmm. farm. You could rent that land out to another farmer. That farmer will pay you to allow you, you know, mm-hmm. them to use your land. And mm-hmm. you don't have to farm any of it. All you got to do is pay the taxes on it. And you're right. getting passive income on it. Mm-hmm. But everybody do yeah. that's, that's the biggest problem. Mm-hmm. We don't trust our own enough to work together. Yes. That's very true. And it's, very that's true. the hard part. Mm-hmm. Um, Well... Now, so I live in a house full of women. (laughs) It's daughter, wife, mom. Now, we don't all live in the same house, but we're pretty much together. Right, right. 24-7, right? Except for when I'm at work. You live in a house full of women. Well, right now, it's my wife and
1: I. Yeah. We we are uh, empty nesters, but I have always
0: lived with women (laughs) right and it's one of those things where people who don't haven't lived around a lot of women Mm -hmm. don't understand the calmness that we have
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know it's it's a thing that we as black men do Mm-hmm. And that is internalize. Mm-hmm. We hold a lot inside. And unfortunately, with too many men, it either manifests itself in uh, going crazy, going mm-hmm. off the deep end, doing something outlandish, or having a stroke and dying. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, we have to get better at sharing And not internalizing stuff so much, not just holding it in, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, One of the reasons we do it is when we share, it comes back at us. Mm. (laughs) Mm. Like a bullet. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But that's no excuse. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's a situation where we need to learn to. Use our vocabulary, use our words and, you know, have the difficult discussions and conversations, Mm -hmm. being able to recognize um, subterfuge, Mm -hmm. because quite often something comes up and it's... Oh, don't look over there. Look over here. (laughs) No, we have to deal with the issue at hand. This is what's on the table. This is what I see. Let's sit down and talk about it. Let's work it out. Let's let the situation come to a head. And it's a hard thing to do Mm -hmm. because, you know, you sleeping on the couch or daughter's not speaking to you. Mm -hmm. You know, family dynamics can get really weird with that. But that's where we have to be strong men. And Too often it is not taught, Mm. it is not um, demonstrated in a way that we see it and know how to do it, but we got to change that,
0: you know. And it it used to be, well, I'm not going to say people were less busy, but the world moved a lot slower. So you could get out a lot of that with the guys, you get together with your guys and Mm -hmm. get all that out. Because they were probably going through the same thing, you know, advice. Now, with, uh, the world is moving so fast. Mm-hmm. It's like just trying to find an hour of time to get together is like right. <sighs> yeah. and, and it just starts compounding over and over. And it's, because a lot of times, there, there's a professor, his name's Dr. T. Hassan Johnson. Mm-hmm. I think he's at Stanford? I, or San Jose State, it might be San Jose State. Um, and he did a, he has a YouTube channel and he did like a two hour long live stream where he, he was talking about black male labor, black male emotional labor in relationships. And he was talking about how him and his wife had lost a child and mm-hmm. they lost their first pregnancy. And he's like, I would see things long before she would see it to make sure she didn't see it he's Mm -hmm. like we were walking in the park and there was a a woman pushing a stroller i diverted her to a whole different direction Mm -hmm. just so she wouldn't see it he's like there's a movie that we would watch and the woman in the movie had a baby and he's like every time i would distract her during that scene just so she wouldn't see it interesting yeah yeah and he he's talking about he's like a lot of times women don't even see what we do because they don't even know that we're doing it Because we have to be a few steps ahead in order to protect Mm -hmm. what we, because we know what's coming. And he also talked about how nowadays you'll have um, the one or two men in the family, because there are two million more black women than there are black men. So the few men that are in the family are carrying the load of what used to be husbands and sons. So, it's like, hey, my sister needs help with this on her car. Can you look at it? Okay, yeah. Hey, my mom needs her grass. cut. Yes. Can you get it? And it, yeah, it yeah. turns, without even mm-hmm. thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, after a while, guys are like, man. But we don't really realize. It. We're just doing it because mm-hmm. that's how we are. Mm-hmm. And And the sad part is that live stream barely any women watched that live stream. It was pretty much all men. And it was like... (laughs) We, in in some respects,
1: have uh, allowed our leadership abilities to be uh, relegated to others Mm. because we have not stood up in those places uh, with some men with and in some situations and sometimes out of just the things you said you know you get overloaded you know Mm -hmm. if you work in two jobs and trying to keep a house together and trying to keep other people's needs met um it doesn't leave a lot of time it doesn't leave a lot of energy and, and you can't sit down and think clearly you can't sit down There's no Mm -mm. time to think, Mm -mm. you know, um, what's the analogy up to my behind in alligators? It's hard to remember. My initial mission was to drain the swamp, Mm -hmm. you know. uh, But family dynamics is very important. And, you know, we've gotten away from the structure of family, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, where, you know, the family would come in and sit down around the dinner table and, you know, uh, talk. And, and review the day. You know, I grew up watching Leave It to Beaver mm-hmm. and Father's Knows Best. And, you know, I didn't know I wasn't a white kid in the summer. <laughs> you know, I thought that's the way regular families function, and mine was just dysfunctional. I didn't mm-hmm. know everybody's family was pretty much dysfunctional, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, but we did. We did sit down around the table and have dinner quite often, you know, uh, to uh, it does it's not done a lot anymore Mm -hmm. and quite often even if it is done everybody's on the phone and nobody's talking Mm -hmm. you know but it goes back to that thing i was saying earlier of sharing and discussing and you know when we're overloaded as men being able to say what the situation is rather than just internalize it and then have a reaction to it because um we can't take it anymore Mm -hmm. but being able to say this is the situation and we need to as a family address the situation and figure out what it is we need to do together Mm -hmm. you know if it's a situation where it's finances and the bills are overloading we need to sit down and review where we're spending our money Mm -hmm. and everybody in the family needs to know rather than just mom and dad or dad you know being upset that too much money is being spent and the kids are still asking for everything that they want. They need to understand what the situation is with the family dynamic. Mm -hmm. So
0: it goes back again to communication. Yeah. Because in that regard, it becomes a generational Mm -hmm. thing where the kids are learning. So they know the pitfalls and mistakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and, and with, you know,
1: any manager in a business or a, uh, uh, owner or, or corporate head knows that you have to delegate and relegate. You mm-hmm. cannot do it all yourself. Mm-hmm. You're going to burn yourself out. Well, it's the same in family. You need to be able to sit down and say, this is your responsibility. This is your responsibility. This is your responsibility. And hold people accountable to what they're supposed to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Definitely. Yeah. And that, that takes a strong leader, though. hmm And to be a strong leader, you have to be a strong communicator. Yeah. And
0: one big problem I see is that people aren't adults at the same time they used to be. (laughs) (laughs) So, so you have people who would be considered an adult, Mm -hmm. but at 35 They're still 25. (laughs) You know, my my first child was
1: born when I was 18. Mm. And I often look back at that and actually speak on the fact that that's when I grew up. Mm. I became an adult. And within a year, my mother had died. Mm. And that's another um, um, life moment that let me know I was an adult and Mm -hmm. from that point on I knew I had to be responsible and I think you're right Mm -hmm. too many young people now are running from any responsibility any um, commitment to have to be responsible to their own responsible for their own well-being it's a, it's somebody else's fault right. you know uh mama won't let me mm-hmm. you know uh,
0: put them out <laughs> accountability <laughs> is Accounta- kryptonite. accountability <laughs> yes yeah it's kryptonite mm-hmm. nowadays mm-hmm. and when you hold people because in my job position i'm a supervisor mm-hmm. and when i have to hold people accountable it's like we're all adults like I'm trying to tell you so that when you make these mistakes, mm-hmm. you won't make the same mistake again, but it turns into, well, you're attacking me. No, this is normal. You made a mistake. Here's your mistake. Just don't make that same mistake again, right. but uh, holding people accountable yeah, is they, hard. They're fine. They're finding now
1: it's hard to get people to just hold jobs. Oh yeah. Tell you me know, about it. We'll just walk <laughs> away. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that is, that is a sad, uh, uh, commentary for our society it really is uh, because hard work is the beginning of uh, what God told us to do Mm -hmm. he told us first to work Mm -hmm. you know he put Adam and Eve in the garden to work Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah it it, it is and it is also a very important part of your own um view of yourself Mm -hmm. um if you don't feel like you can be productive it can lead to depression mm-hmm. you know um and it can lead to poverty which is even
0: worse depression <laughs> yeah i mean if you don't have a good self-worth which i think a lot of people don't know how to develop a self-worth anymore because they've, they've never seen it mm-hmm. you know just like they've never seen a lot of them haven't seen what a marriage looks like so like i don't need that i don't they don't know what it looks like you know uh and there's this i can do everything by myself mentality and it's like you never get anywhere mm-hmm. by yourself mm-hmm. you may be able to travel faster by yourself but you always get there the, the well the travel is easier mm-hmm. with a companion and you can your your odds of getting there safely i have to, to say that growing up
1: in the family environment and the community I grew up in, I've always had self-worth. Mm-hmm. I knew that I was loved, like I said, and I always had teachers that encouraged me. So i, I that's something I haven't struggled with. Um, of course, I've had doubts, mm. you know, uh, whether I could actually do something when I'm uh, pushing myself to do something. But that's a part of stepping to the next level, you Mm -hmm. know, whether I can do it or not. But, you know, I've always had the feeling that if I really apply myself, I can figure it out and get through it. And I have been blessed in that regard. I look at parents who belittle and demean their children, Mm. and it just hurts my heart knowing what that's going to mean for the future of that child as they grow up feeling like they are worthless Mm
0: -hmm. and that that is that really hurts because i love kids i'm a Mm -hmm. big kid well you're a big kid (laughs) yeah (laughs) so it's Um, like (laughs) i I still feel like i'm 17 (laughs) so yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's like whenever i see that with a kid i just (laughs) want to look at that parent and just be like what is wrong with Mm -hmm. you and and it you can always immediately tell that it's a generational thing. Mm-hmm. Like that trauma that they're, they're putting on that child came from somebody else who put that on them. Right. And it, it, yeah. that, that's rough.
1: That, that's rough as well as the parents or I'm going to say the mothers who overprotect their children, mm-hmm. who, let to, who make the child think that they can do no wrong. That's an e. That's an equal evil because that child is just being set up for failure down the road because you, you know, somebody's gonna have to correct
0: them at some point, mm-hmm. and they're not gonna want to hear. We were just sitting there last night. Um, DJ and Ronnie and I were sitting there talking about football because mm-hmm. DJ coaches football, and he's like, man, these kids once you, once you've had them for a couple of weeks, they understand. Hey. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna, you know, it's not gonna go well for you and all that stuff. He goes, but the parents are the problem. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, it's always the parents because mm-hmm. why is my kid playing? Why? Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, I'm I'm the coach. Mm-hmm. So, and and then of course Ronnie working in the school system, he's like, it's always the parents. <laughs> it yeah. uh, always falls back on the parents because the kid can mess up and you can correct the kid, but then the parent enables the kid. And yeah. It's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I have to deal with them as adults <laughs> when I get <laughs> to work. And it's like, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Well, we're coming close to time. So, is there is there anything that you could change that you would. You know, I
1: think of that a lot like the show quantum leap, Mm, which they're bringing back by the way. Are they really? Okay. (laughs) You know, if I were to go back and change some things with what I know now, I'd probably have messed up. (laughs) I probably would change the wrong thing and the whole thing would come tumbling down. Mm. So, um, I would like to have been wiser Hmm. in my younger years. Um, But maybe some of those things I went through, I was supposed to go through to make me able to get to where I am now. Hmm. So I don't really live a life of regrets. I don't Hmm. go back and think about I wish I could have, I wish I would have. Um, What could I have done better? You know, should I have studied law and become a lawyer? Well, maybe I could have studied law and become a lawyer, but maybe i would lost my mind because that's not where my mind was supposed to be, you know, Uh, it would maybe would have stressed me out, you know. So, no, I don't live, I don't live that, I don't think that I move forward and I approach each day.